Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am Rob Howe, joined by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. As always, it is Friday, June the 9th, a little after 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, Scott has been working feverishly on Big Ten scheduling news, but I'm hoping he got to at least see the latest episode of Mayans. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did yesterday. Uh, I did yesterday as well. Yeah, I, last night. Last night. Um, I don't know. I I don't want to hold this show hostage over uh, our little our show that we kind of. Hey, it's like our podcast. Other, yeah, people right. have to listen to you if you're. <laughs> you have to listen to what we say. The only it's thing like I, when uh, Adam Sandler grabs the mic in the wedding singer. Yeah, the wedding says, I have the mic, and you have to listen to what I say. <laughs> I I thought it, I I'm just. The last year plus has just not been a very good year for this show. I'm kind of like, well, no wonder it's ending. But I think uh, the ending kind of maybe gave us some a little more indication on what may come about. So, yeah, it's getting a little bit interesting, and hopefully, I'm hoping for a uh, big, you know, a a a nice bow on this thing at the end. A couple nice episodes at the end to kind of end on a high note because I've enjoyed the series so much that uh, I want to be able to say, hey, it ended on a high note and feel good about it when we watched that last episode. Yeah, exactly. I, I you know, it's the same thing with, with Sons. Yeah. You know, I mean, Sons was a better show, but, you know, it's still, this one's been pretty good. It was really good in the first couple of years, I thought. And hopefully it kind of ends that way. It looks, it's kind of a chaotic situation now. <laughs> I just feel like they're, you know, show, give us some clarity, but, it, but either way, um, I think they got caught giving us too many storylines. There's just yeah. too much stuff going on, but yeah, we no, have a lot of storylines as it pertains to the big 10 football schedule too. Yes. Thanks. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Uh, Iowa baseball season uh, comes to an end last weekend in Terre Haute with uh, tying the record for most wins in a season. So a lot to be um, proud of for Rick Heller and his squad we talked about the off-field distractions. They played through that. They ran into a they ran into a pretty good team in Indiana State, and I think that was pretty obvious in watching those games. 
Having said that, few things go the other way on Saturday and you get it, you know, you stay in that winner's side. I think it changes. Once you lose that first game, man, it becomes just so, uh, the, the task becomes just so monumental to overcome, especially when you're on the other team's field. Um, but nothing to be ashamed of. Good starts from Marcus Morgan and Brody Brecht and High Langenberg. The bullpen was a little shaky at times, but a lot coming back, Scott. They've got their top three pitchers are coming back next year. A lot of their hitters are coming back. You know, you lose Dorigi. Uh, Keaton Anthony probably moves on at this point, but uh, a lot of guys coming back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think they had a quality year. You know, you got to – you won two regional games. You felt like there was more to offer and had Keaton Anthony been there than maybe you feel like – you know, and I'm not going to say they would have won for sure, but I think they might have won one more game because I think he's, you know, that you know that important of a player. Um, but overall, what Rick Heller was able to do with this team and how he was able to put it on a – on a really good uh, trajectory, even when in fighting through the adversity of losing your best hitter and losing some other players and still be able to really ascend the way they did. They reached the Big Ten tournament finals to go to the regionals, to, to win two games at regionals, and then to have the, the nucleus back, you know, and you hope that he can maintain that, you know, that there aren't, uh, you know, this this is a different age, you know, and, and there are some schools that can take advantage of, NIL and some schools that don't have that. And I think, you know, you're hopeful if you're, if you're Iowa, if you can bring back those numbers, those three arms uh, and you can fill in the gaps, you know, to replace your, a couple of your best hitters. Uh, there's no reason why this team can't be the best in the big 10 and, and competing there. They, the bullpen did let them down. I'm not even going to sugarcoat that. That was major, um, you know, almost what cost them in the first game. It, it cost him in the second and third games. Uh, the second one they lost late. Um, and then the third one, of course, they won in, in extra innings. And, and then they just, they had to use too many pitchers. <laughs> and the fourth game, when you get in that, as you said, Rob, once you lose a game and you get in that situation where you're using your pitchers um, sometimes for an inning or two, you know, you're, you're at the mercy of the situation and, but overall, I, I mean, you can't complain about the season and what Rick Heller was able to do. Yeah, the difference in that that losing that first game to Indiana State is if you had to play them again on Sunday, you'd be playing in that second game and you'd have Langenberg going. You know what I mean? So right. if that's the way it would have played out. But so that's that's life and that's the way the setup is. And uh Good season, uh, sixth time ever in the NCAA tournament and three under Rick Heller. So, as you said, I think the program and the university and the athletic department is going to have to make up its mind what it wants to be in baseball because without NIL, it's going to be really, really difficult. So, um, you know, significant NIL, not just, you know, the stuff that comes along, uh, you know, that everybody gets they they're going to need to be able to keep their players if they want to compete but who knows maybe they don't want to or maybe they're not maybe they're measuring how invested they want to be it is a tough situation um when you're talking about a school as broad-based as iowa with uh beginning of this fall to be you know it was at 24 sports then it dropped to 20 now it'll be at 22 um with women swimming back of course never really left and then 
women's wrestling, they're going to have to figure out a way to um, keep those play those athletes um, in the fold. And, and, and really like, I always kind of thought of it as different tiers, if you will, at, at Iowa. Um, you know, I think football is in its own tier. And then I think kind of men's basketball, women's basketball and wrestling are kind of in a second tier as far as interest and, you know, prominence is maybe different, you know, that men's basketball is more prominent, but I think those three are, and then after that, you've got kind of baseballs and softball that are, maybe even maybe track to volleyball that are kind of in that next group. And then, then there's really like, you know, golf and tennis and gymnastics that are just kind of falter, filter down. But, you know, I, I think when you look at the, you know, when, when one of the things that Gary Barta didn't do so well was communicate with the collective, <laughs> that's obvious. Mm-hmm. And, and there's only so much that a collective can do, if the, especially if the athletics department really doesn't take a role in it. And that is, um, you know, the, the, it sponsors three sports. So, you know, in, in men's basketball, women's basketball and football to ask it to do more, you're probably asking them to do too much. And now, if you have a separate one, maybe a, a let's say a, you know, Hawkeye Olympic sports, you know, but you're going to continue to ask people to, to spend money and that takes it away from somewhere else. And that, that's, that's going to be tough. I almost think that each, each sport should probably have its own collective after the top three wrestling, I think could have it, you know, I don't know why they don't, but the other ones are, yeah, as you said, with baseball, it's a different level of investment and Iowa because Heller is so good in my eyes has been able to keep continue and compete in the Big Ten on a year in and year out basis. If it's another coach, we've seen that in the past, they can't compete. And I don't know what, what the future holds there, but it is kind of going to have to – it is a crossroads moment. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's probably the best blueprint is that after those top sports, um, you know, the the ones in the, in the upper tiers, you, you need to – kind of lean on the fans that, you know, really, you know, are invested in your sport, have them invest in your sport. There are a lot of people that are very into Iowa baseball and support it. And that's where you're going to have to, you know, look for um, financial support as well. And I think, like you said, I think wrestling would be able to do that and is probably going to have to do that at some point um, because it's, it's, this is all going to filter down. Because everybody wants to win and there are people with, you know, with a lot of money that will, especially like, you know, ACC, SEC, um, Big 12 baseball, those those programs are going to invest. Yeah. And those are the teams that are going to poach your players. Well, and that's the that's the problem and the question of, of NIL as it relates to, I mean, I think football, the leagues and the teams in the primary leagues understand the investment. So like Iowa knew what it needed and it got what it needed. Um, it, is it going to, you know, so I think in football, in men's basketball, we all kind of understand it. Baseball is different because in the South, it is bigger than basketball. It really is. It's bigger than men's basketball, except in Kentucky, of course. But, but when you start dealing with the people I deal with at the athletic and the, the tournament came up, it, it's, they think of it differently. It, you know, it's almost kind of like a, 
oh yeah, okay, it's the postseason tournament for us, you know, and for them, it's you view it kind of like you would the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And so <clears throat> when you have that kind of interest and in 7,000 people at games, 10,000 people at games uh, for midweek ones, it's, it's a different level. And, and then <clears throat> at a place like Iowa, you're asking your fans to put money into multiple pots. And at some point they're saying, Hey, I can't do this anymore. You know, it's like, you know, do you give, do you give to the collective for football players or basketball players or baseball or wrestling or the athletic department to make sure you can keep those coaches, you know, because you want to make sure you still have great coaches and then facility improvements, you know, you can only ask your fans to do so much. And I know that's probably been a real factor in maybe the, you know, the, maybe not at folk, you know, vocally they haven't expressed it but and how much that they support the collective to begin with the, the swarm collective because they don't want to take money out of the pocket of the athletic department but you know kirk parents pulled me to me and tom caker to decide in nashville he's like we got to decide here uh do we want to you know the, the the landscape has changed it's about players not facilities anymore and i think with you know rather than raising you know, X number of million dollars to, for a new facility. Now, baseball, we can agree probably needs something, but what about the other ones? Can you make do? Is it, ma- it doesn't matter. I think you could tell me more because you deal with the recruits more than I do. But I think if your recruits had an opportunity to have a nicer facility, but, or a facility that has everything you need versus uh, an ultra great facility but not money, they're going to take money. You know, they're going to take money every time. As long as they're not working out in a dump, it's money first. And I think that athletics administrators have to understand that. Yeah. And I think most power five programs now have, you know, pretty, pretty impressive facilities. I mean, you know, Iowa got there finally. um, But a lot of teams have, or a lot of programs and departments have, have gone. I mean, look what Northwestern did. I mean, it's, I, I think those facilities are there. So now, at least at this point, until maybe some of the big schools that just have money to burn, like Ohio State, just get these ridiculous, you know, I don't know how much more you can go with facilities. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, at this point, the, the to me, the, the equation is figuring out how to divvy up donations. You know, you've you've how much is the this media rights deal going to help you overall as a department? And then how much does that leave you to maybe uh, steer some of that donor money towards the collective? And I think whoever takes over uh, for Gary Barter, whether it's Beth Getz or somebody else, that's kind of, you know, that's objective number one, I think. No question that see to me, there are factors that are outside of your control, which would be winning and losing football games um, that, you know, who gets what players, what the big 10 does. Those are things that you have really very little influence on as an athletic director, but what you can influence are your relationships and how people view you view the program and how they want to give their money. And I think certainly dealing with the collective in a positive way is something that, you know, Beth Getz could do from day one, Gary Barta has done zero with, he has not had a conversation with Brad Heinrichs, you know, who put up his own money, started the whole thing. And you could look at the football roster 
that for going into this fall and at least gives Iowa a fighting chance on offense to be a lot better. Um, that's because of NIL and that's because of Brad Heinrichs and that's because of the people he hired and the people who give to that. Um, that that's something that you can't, that you're going to have to face as a, as an athletics department. Now, you know, one of the challenges that they have is that, you know, the, their debt service right now, the total is like $240 million. And so, you know, for, because of all these projects, because of the $90 million at Kinnick and they still pay on other ones, you know, the Carver from way back when. And they're, they're still, still paying they're, the COVID loan, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, that was $50 million and they paid not quite three, maybe around three, you know, last year, because as they start to come back, they'll pay more. It's over 15 years. So you've got all this stuff. And then you want to, you know, then you got people talking about a new baseball stadium, a new facility for gymnastics and the, you know, and cheer. You got uh, people want to renovate or replace Carver Hawkeye Arena, you know. As they're building a wrestling arm on it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just, yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, you know, Gary, for the most part, was is pretty conservative in a lot of areas. But when it came to facility building, he wasn't. But it's kind of like you got this money, you got to spend it, and you don't have a board of directors, and you don't have <laughs> shareholders that put it in their pockets unless you count the coaches. But so, you know, I think with, with Iowa, to me, the facility building sh- should be prudent, look to the future as far as talent acquisition, and coaching maintenance slash, uh, you know, hiring. <laughs> I think that to me is the more priority over, should we build this for that? Maybe renovate the old field house and say, gymnastics, you can have it. It's yours. Do it for $5 million instead of building a separate standalone building or something for $30 million. That's me. I just don't, but you know, Hey, it's their money, not mine. Now, we arrived here talking about baseball and NIL and facilities, and that's how we got to this point. Um, want to just give a quick shout out to the uh, Iowa track team competing down at in Austin, Texas at the NCAA championships. Austin West, Iowa City West graduate, uh, took third place in uh, the decathlon, Scott, pretty Pretty nice accomplishment. Third in the country uh, in that event. And then Amanda Howe, uh, personal favorite, obviously, uh, <laughs> through the hammer throw, uh, 63.79 meters, um, uh, which was 12th overall and got her second team All-American honors. A lot of stuff going on down there in Austin this week. Keep an eye on that if you're a Hawkeye fan, Iowa Track under Joey Woody is certainly on solid ground, solid foundation, and a lot of really good athletes from around the country in that program. Yeah, absolutely. And Joey Woody has been maybe as good or better than any of them, any of the hires that Gary Barta's had. Him and Rick Heller are probably 1A and 1B in whatever order you want to call it as far as hires go. And um, to be able to win the Big Ten, what, two out of the last four Big Ten track meets, to go to nationals, to compete, not for national titles. That's probably a little bit too rich for this program when you have the weather advantages in the South and and everything. That's okay. I, I don't think it's a loser mentality to say, you know what, I don't think we're going to win a national title at Iowa. But I think what you can say is we can win individual titles and compete at a high level and be successful there. And he has, you know, and it's just uh, to, to be able to place, you know, to be a West High kid and, and place 
third in, in the nation in the decathlon. That's incredible. And you look at some of the numbers that they've had, you know, at the, in the 100 and the four by yeah. one has just been remarkable. So Joey Woody has done everything and more. I mean, Wiz did a great job before him too. So I, this isn't just a joke, but, but I think in order to maintain, maintain it and enhance it, I think Joey Woody was the perfect hire. They had to merge the the track teams they under his leadership, and it's really been, you know, fairly seamless. I mean, for the most part, and I, I think uh, you know that proves it every year when they go to the nationals. They're in Austin, Texas now, and 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 then they're competing at a high level once again. Yeah, I think it's it, you know you always want to, as you said, Scott, you want to win, you know, the win it all. I mean, that's why you compete. Yeah. You like Iowa football lines up. It wants to win a national title. Basketball teams want to win national titles. Wrestling has and does want to win national titles. I think it's important in sports like that, baseball, track, to compare to your history and just kind of compare to um, kind of where the bar is. It'd be great if Iowa baseball went to Omaha and played in the College World Series. That would be a great story. Um, but when you consider that it's made the NCAA tournament six times in the history of the program, and it's done it three times since 2015. That gives you an idea that, historically speaking, it's in a pretty good place, and I think the same can be said for track. Yeah, I think so, too. And, um, you know, it's it's really a fun sport to watch. I wish we could watch it a little bit more. You know, that's the one – that's the bad part of – spring sports is you know they didn't have the musco meet this year yeah. did they? they've been they've had to cancel that obviously covid but weather it's just hard yeah. to do it here yeah exactly that one is is always one that's on the chopping block every year it seems like or it's you know or it, it, it's just the timing is always bad it's like the day of the spring game so i'm not going to go watch it or, yeah. or cover it or it's been like this year, I think it was high winds or something that really prevented it and bad weather. And then you said COVID um, it, it's really made that kind of difficult. The other one is, I don't even know if they've had this for several years, but I watched it one year, the head of the Iowa for the women's rowing team, mm, when it's yeah. on the Iowa river is one of the most picturesque scenes I've ever in, in this area, if, in this state, let's put it that way, where it was one year, it was in October and you had the, the fall foliage all around uh, the Iowa river, which is gorgeous in its own right. And then you had all these colored boats and, you know, flags flying and stuff. And I thought, this is just amazing. I love watching this, but um, you know, they, they don't really have it very often or I've been too busy to check it out if they have. And then uh, sometimes they'll have, they always seem to move like a meet to like Lake McBride. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it's like too cold. And I'm like, no. I'm not going to that thing. So anyway, my rant is over. <laughs> yes. And it's a good time to just kind of tell folks, you know, there are a lot of good sports at either at the University of Iowa that are really cheap, sometimes, oftentimes free to go watch so if you're around and you know have the time go check that stuff out those athletes work very hard as well uh let's dive in here scott the big news of the week actually let's talk about the women's basketball matchup first then we'll take a break and then we'll come back on the other side and dig in i think that's probably our best route here um you had this um information and had to sit on it for quite a while but iowa will be playing against fellow Final Four participant this past season. Virginia Tech 
in a non-conference game at in Charlotte on November 9th. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You got you you take it from here. That's all I have. <laughs> yeah, I got contacted about a week before. Well, it was like the Wednesday before, so yeah, full week before it was uh, officially unveiled and that uh Iowa and you know from Charlotte that they're lining up the um game against uh you know Iowa and Virginia Tech, which I I thought, wow, this is a big one. You know, you're talking about women's Iowa women's basketball is the is the brand everybody wants to see. And Caitlin Clark is the reason for that, but also because, you know, Iowa tracks eyeballs, Iowa tracks traffic, Iowa uh, tracks butts in the seats. They even bring butts in the seats. So um, there were, you know, people who wanted them. And in Charlotte, you know, talking to the guy named Danny Morrison, who's the head of the Charlotte Sports Foundation, and they also run the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Um, as soon as he said he saw the final four and what Iowa was able to do, he's like, we want them here. You know, and so he made them like the anchor to this, and then it was find another opponent, and they thought, well, Virginia Tech's only three hours away, and it won the ACC. It returns uh, Elizabeth Kitley, one of the best players in the country, and a couple others. Um, so what a matchup this could be. So they had to work with Iowa first. Well, you know, then they went to a title sponsor, an ally financial, which is kind of a fascinating story in its own right, in that that it um, it had it started last year a 50-50 pledge when it came to um, sponsorship of men's and women's that they would spend at least the, they'd spend the same money on men's and women's sports so and it has a relationship with the ACC network and stuff so it was a perfect fit for them um, everybody was in but they wanted to make sure they got Iowa so they had conversations with Lisa Lisa was fine with it and then then they went to Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech was thrilled and and they made it work. And Iowa gets a pretty substantial guarantee, 150000 plus 50K to travel. That's that's a big deal. That's a lot of money for women's basketball. That doesn't happen very regularly. But um, but when you're talking about it, it's going to be televised on an ESPN channel. And, and even though the Big Ten doesn't have an ESPN contract anymore, the fact that it's a it's a it's women's basketball, the fact that it's a uh, neutral side event. Um, and the Duke's Mayo Bowl has a relationship with the Big Ten, it wasn't hard to put together. They weren't going to say, oh, you know, well, if they're the anchor team, then they can't. Now, I'm sure they'll probably make Virginia Tech the host just to avoid any kind of problem. But but I think when you look on the floor, you're talking about two of the best teams in the country, a championship participant, a team that was only seven points away from beating LSU in the semifinals. Um, it very well could have been the championship rematch. So, um, what's not to like about this other than the fact that, all right, it's in Charlotte, you know, it's pretty far, but, but other than that, what a, what a way to really start. I mean, they have a, they have a game, uh, you know, a couple of days before that, and then they, then they go to Charlotte. This is, this is awesome. This is great. This is exactly what basketball should do. Yeah. We, so we've talked about this during the, uh, the NCAA tournament women's tournament this past season. And as I was going through and, you know, popularity was was rising to to strike while the iron's hot. And this is a good example of that, taking advantage of, you know, the popularity now to try to build even a bigger following. And this is good. And hopefully ESPN showcases it. I think it will, um, whether that be, you know, 
the chance of ABC or the main network and uh, putting it out there. Would have been nice to have South Carolina or LSU, but hopefully we get that at some point uh, during this season. But this is a good chance uh, to showcase the game, and and that's really what they need to do. They need to keep building on this. You know, you talked to – you remember when uh, the USA women's soccer team and everybody was like, oh, this is going to grow women's soccer. And it really didn't. So this is an opportunity here that they really have to take advantage of. I mean, it grew women's soccer to an extent, but I don't think it turned out as global as people had hoped. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of it was big at a grassroots level. And I think it's been big, but it hasn't yet. I mean. It's weird because the organization I work at, it, it has become a priority. Yeah. And we have one of the best writers in the world um, cover it. But still, uh, you know, it, it it's hard in a professional setting to have soccer infuse itself and become kind of an iconic sport. But in this think, country, in this country, you know, there's just so much competition. Yeah. Um, you know, when you say what has changed the most about sports in the last 20 years from a viewing perspective? It's probably that the NFL has gotten even bigger and baseball has fallen off. That's really the, the biggest uh, change I've seen in, in sports viewership over the last, you know, 20 years. But, you know, not so much with soccer, although MLS has gotten more popular. And I would say the European soccer has become um, more prevalent in this country. And at some point, you, you know, you wonder, well, like, let's say New York get an English Premier League team. You know, could that impact the way people view it? And the flip of like the NFL sending a bunch yeah. of games overseas. Yeah. The, you know, the top yeah. organizations playing more here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because uh, if, if there was say like New York and I don't know Miami, I don't know some of, or Philadelphia, whatever, if they were to get two English soccer league teams there. You know, how would it do in this country? I would say it would probably do really, really well. Um, but, you know, that's something I'm not going to worry about too much. But but I'll say this, that um, with women's basketball, you know, capitalizing at the heart the height of its marketability and, and having a face like Caitlin Clark. And we all saw the video last week of her at the iClubs, iCubs game when you have lines like that to meet her. She's a transcendent figure in Iowa and across the country and to bring that product, her and this team to a different part, different region that they don't normally experience and have it in a high profile setting. And and, and ESPN is invested in women's basketball. And this is the only chance they're going to really have to showcase her. I expect it to be at a, at a pretty, um, you know, I don't, it won't be ABC because it's a Thursday night, but I could see it being like ESPN main, you know, because this is just a, this is a way to, you know, the viewership was so high. I mean, it was NBA finals level high um, that, yeah, they're going to make her the, <laughs> they're going to make her the the star for a night. And I would too, because I mean, she is a effing star. It'll be interesting to see how, where they put it when they have Thursday night fo- college football, probably the NFL then. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'll have to go head to head with uh, Amazon Prime and NFL. So it's not going to get the ratings that it did for, you know, just not. It's, yeah. Plus it's early season basketball. It just doesn't, you know, we could, you know, you, you know, when <laughs> what's funny and this is, this is just the way it is, you know, I'm not criticizing it, but you know, when they have that, what champions classic on a Tuesday night at the United center and yeah. you got Kentucky and Kansas and Michigan state and, I don't know who else you see. Or they play on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Yeah. But the one on Tuesday night at the United center where yeah. they have four teams, two games, Kentucky, Kansas, Michigan state, and Duke, I think it is. And in the middle, they announced the college football playoff pairings. The ratings for the play, the, the pairings are higher than they are for the games around them. And I think it's the, um, the first game, it starts to really grow like the second half and the first game, it completely falls like five minutes into the game. It's like people go, Oh, okay. Well, we don't need to watch this anymore. Turn the channel. It is, it's stark. And that's the way it is. I mean, that's why bowl games crush, you know, you'll have Kentucky versus North Carolina on CBS, the third Saturday in December. And on ESPN, you're going to have Appalachian state versus Eastern Michigan in the Camellia bowl. <laughs> and it, it's double the ratings. It's a football country. But so, but I'll say this, that she is different because if you're to tell me who is the biggest name in college sports today, I don't think I'm being too provincial to say Caitlin Clark, Caleb Williams is up there. Who else? Men's basketball player. Who is a men's basketball player that we say, wow, he's bigger than Caitlin Clark. Nobody, not one player. College football, very, very few. I mean, if you were to go out and ask a hundred people on the streets of Chicago and Minneapolis, you know, name two football players at Iowa, eh, probably half of them might be able to do that. If you were to ask names, anybody who plays a sport at Iowa, who, who is it? Caitlin Clark. I mean, she's just, you know, <laughs> it's not, it, it's, it's awesome though, Rob. It's just awesome. I mean, yes, yeah, it is. It's great. And we talked about it back in March too, with, you know, what, when we saw that, you know, the bar raised and the popularity raised to points, we haven't seen it before. Uh, just, I hope they're able to build on this and this is a good start. Hopefully um, they're able to, and I'm sure they will showcase her games, Iowa's games on different platforms and um, throughout the season to bring as much attention as they can. And hopefully she, uh, I, I know she's benefiting from this, but I wish her all, <laughs> uh, I want her to get it all because she deserves it. It's, uh, it, it's amazing what she's become. And uh, I'm amazed with how well she handles her fame, uh, oh which, which is, you know, like you said, that iClubs, the iCub situation, I mean, she sat there and, you know, did what she was hired to do. And, you know, every time I see her, she's she um, handles her fame very well. And that's not something we always see. these. Days. Yeah. Is I, I just I can't say enough good things about her, Rob about the way she handles herself, conducts herself in public, the way she acts around children, adults, um, situations like the High Cubs, post-game interviews, um, controversies. You know, I mean, it could have been 
you know, she could have had a different reaction to the whole Angel Reese, you know, and all that. And, and Angel has really profited from that, which is a little bit perplexing in some ways, but, but, you know, more power to her. Uh, but, you know, Caitlin is, continues to handle herself at a, at a way that I, I think even more, even people who don't like Iowa or, want to see their team beat Iowa, they have the immense respect for her. I can't tell you how many times even last year when I'd have um, opposing, you know, fans tweet me or DM me and say, yeah, I'm wearing Nebraska red or I'm wearing, you know, Scarlet at this Ohio state game, but I'm rooting for 22. And, you know, and maybe the coolest thing anecdotes I've heard about her or, uh, or seen is, you know, when I went to the, that um, reception for them at, at the Pentecrest at the old Capitol. And there was probably 10,000 people there. And that was being a pretty good estimate. Um, there were as many boys wearing Clark 22 t-shirts as there were girls. And it shows that she transcends sports, that it's not just, you know, the boys are just going to wear, you know, Jordan or, you know, like we would have, I mean, they're going to wear her and they're going to be proud to do it. And then uh, the other thing is I heard from a friend of mine who said, you know, his son was, made a shot or something at a Wiley game and was going down the court going like this. And he asked him, he's like, would you see that for Michael Jordan? And he goes, no, I'm Caitlin Clark. <laughs> this boy's <laughs> saying that. Yeah. It just shows you um, what she does is just resonates with. Uh, I, I think when it's all said and done, Rob, and it doesn't matter if they win a national title or not. I think you have a mountaintop of two at the top of Iowa sports history and Kenile Kinnick and Caitlin Clark. I think she's that profound of a, of a voice of an athlete of, of a representative. And, uh, and I don't want to be hyperbolic, but, you know, I think we, <laughs> I think we have enough history and credibility as two really old dudes now of, uh, of bringing this up, but we've never, I've never seen anybody like her. Spencer Lee isn't even in the same category. And that's, I think he may be the greatest wrestler that I was had. Yes, and it'll be fascinating to see uh, how that popularity increases this season and how Iowa, as a team, deals with uh, the spotlight and the pressure. It did well last year, and now it's going to have to do it again, and we will obviously follow that along here on the podcast right now. Uh, probably a good time to take a break before we get into uh, the news of the week, and that is the Big Ten sk- football scheduling that was released uh, yesterday. Uh, June the the 8th, which pushed this podcast back a day so we could talk about this in particular, and we'll do that on the other side of the break. Want to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. I think Systems said they're going to send us a new script. I know some people uh, can probably recite that one pretty easily right now. I still can. I still have to look up uh, the script. But there you have it. Thank you to Systems Unlimited, and thank you to these sponsors you're going to hear from now. And Scott and I will be back on the other side to talk football scheduling. Hang in there. 
Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. Thank you again to our sponsors. We appreciate their support of the podcast, the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast, and all of the podcasts here on the Hawk Fanatic feed. Please subscribe, hit the like button, whatever the the kids tell you that you need to do with this stuff to help our popularity because Scott and I are all about branding and pushing our popularity. Scott's very popular with Nebraska fans and other fans on Twitter, um, so he likes to... (laughs) He likes to fly. I won a poll this week, Scott. So apparently there was some Twitter beef going on earlier this week to which the somebody decided to put a poll about who in the Iowa, Iowa media is the worst. And I'm happy to announce that I ran it. I, I won this thing going away. Somebody texted or somebody brought it to my attention this morning on Twitter, which then I muted those people because I figured if they're taking part in this nonsense, I want nothing to do with them. Uh, but I got over 50% of the vote. Uh, Pat Hardy was second and Tom Kakert was third. I guess Tom was the subject of some, uh, Twitter. Uh, backlash this week. Uh, I'm happy to say that I've pulled myself away from that nonsense quite a bit. And now when people do that stuff and reach out to me and try to start that drama, goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed it a little bit on Wednesday night. I was really busy because I got some pieces of breaking news. So I was off Twitter. Yeah, actually work instead of worrying about what you're brand is to yeah. actually produce content and do work is, <laughs> it's a novel concept and i applaud you for it yeah it was i got texted <laughs> i got texted probably two hours after the whole thing was going on and and somebody's like so how are you staying out of the twitter war tonight i'm like oh is there one? Oh, <laughs> god damn it you know and i looked and i'm like oh, whatever you know but- i looked a little bit and i'm like where are we as yeah. a society what are we doing here yeah I mean, let's face it. Everybody's been caught in the crosshairs at the different times. You probably more than anybody. And, uh, you know, Tom was sticking up for his site and I applaud him for that. Tom's a good friend. I have a lot of respect for Tom and Blair and Kyle's done a nice job covering that, um, you know, covering baseball and covering women's basketball, being there, writing stories. Um, so, you know, I don't have a problem with people sticking up for their site or their colleagues and um, other people have the right to disagree or or complain or whatever. And I, I just, uh, 
yeah, I'm trying not to be a part of those. I, <laughs> it's a world that I'm pulling back from a lot more and I should have done it sooner. Yeah. I, I use the, the platform to promote content and try to limit it to that. I do interact and you kind of get sucked in at times, but overall, um, too much unhealthy shit going on. Yeah. Well, the thing I found and, and even with stories like yesterday's with the big 10 conference schedules is that it puts me square on Twitter to view everything, whether it's at what people are tweeting me at retweeting that, you know, asking questions, whatever, and less with, I don't know, real life. And one of the things that I struggle with probably as much as anybody, if not more than anybody is that when you write a story that, you know, is going to get a lot of traffic, that I'm constantly sucked into Twitter and I'm constantly on Twitter and going and uh, reading stuff, tweet, retweeting stuff. And it takes me away from family time. It takes me away from hell, just watching TV time, <laughs> you know, yeah. unwinding. It keeps me on the clock mentally. And I don't need that, especially in June. Um, so I don't know. Um, it's frustrating when, and I know how hard you work and research things, and have your facts, and then somebody tweets something that's false, yeah. inaccurate, and that to me has been the hardest thing for me. I, mm-hmm. to, I've always wanted to correct people, mm-hmm. but I've learned that there are a lot of really um, dumb people <laughs> on <laughs> yeah. Twitter um, that are just there to get a rise and don't really care whether or not they're they're factually correct you know, or, or have the correct information. So rather than battle with those people, I just leave them with their ignorance. Yeah, exactly. And I struggle with that too. (laughs) It kind of depends on them. I was at, I I went to an iClub in Kansas city uh, about a little over a month ago, just, just to be, I was a guest and I was on a, and somebody asked me specifically, how do you decide which, um, which Twitter follows do you, make examples of and which ones you ignore. And I said, really, it depends on my mood. (laughs) You know, if I'm, if I'm just like, eh, I'm just going to keep going. And then there are other times when I'm like, and during Lent, I really tried not to. And that was tough, but because I made that as my, my Lenten sacrifice was (laughs) interacting with trolls on Twitter, but I know it's, it's such a first world 2023 thing, but but I will say this, that, um, yeah, I, I really struggle with people who either can't comprehend what I just tweeted because it's, God, it's just 280 characters, or people who ask me questions in a link or a story that I spent a lot of time writing. And it's like, well, what about this? Well, it's in there. Well, I'm not a subscriber. Well, I'm not going to give it to you. I mean, I do have to make a living here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, and so that, 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 so there's all kinds of little aggravations and, or, you know, somebody has a plan <laughs> that I know isn't going to go anywhere. There, there are times when people might have something, but like yesterday, there was some guy who tweeted me, well, here's what the Big Ten should have done. They should have went to a pod system where they had four teams here, 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 and here. I'm like, <laughs> they're not going to do it. I'm not even going to dignify your thought process here because all the questions were a year ago. Now it's, this is what happened. Here's what I'm reporting. Here's what they said, my interpretation of it. I'm not really going to care what you think, you know, and uh, there's a lot of interesting opinions. And, and if, 
if I hate to say this, but if it's somebody who's really snarky, who likes another team, I usually just mute them really quick, unless they try to be snarky and smart assy. And then that's when I usually will say, all right, now I'm going to go ahead and uh, quote tweet you, you know, <laughs> and the thing is, is for the most part, I will engage people that are reasonably sane you know, and, and polite and just want to have yeah. a conversation. But if you're going to be snarky or nasty or mean, mm-hmm. I don't have time anymore. And yeah. it's just not worth it. Absolutely. And when you start talking about the, the big 10 debate uh, of scheduling, I, I mean, I really, you know, I had a lot of people who uh, when they had legitimate questions or comments that I thought were worthy of response, perfectly happy to do that you know it's like a nebraska fan what you know somebody said well why did they only they put in for three rivals why did they only get one and well well, here's the reason why and and i gave them the the reason but and they're like thank you and i'm like no no problem that's exactly what i'm i enjoy doing i enjoy those interactions not not because i'm smart or anything but hey you ask me a question i'll answer it but it's the you know wow i really got an easy schedule in 2025 well Look at it, the 2024 schedule, and you're going to go, oh, well, that's not so easy. When, <laughs> when I don't uh, think there are going to be easy schedules in no. this conference anymore. I think it's too hard. And they, and this is where we could kick this off, they did a remarkable job of competitive equality. That may be the one thing that gets lost in the shuffle here. But, you know, you have... I'll say like the top half of the big 10 are football schools and high profile. James Franklin complained yet about anything. If he hasn't complained about this, they got it right. Cause he's always complaining. Yes. He's, he's the the complainer in chief. He's the litmus (laughs) test for bitching and moaning. Right. He's done it enough on so many different things, but uh, interrupt. Yeah, no, that's fine. And I, I, uh, if I could take a shot at James Franklin, though, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and Penn State. And Penn State. Well, uh, you know, it's like if you were to look at like the upper tier, there was, you know, kind of two segments, like the the historic blue bloods. And I'm not counting Nebraska in that game anymore, but USC, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State and Penn State. I'm sorry. And then the second tier, which are very competitive, high profile teams, especially if they compete at a high level. And that is Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin and Michigan State. There is a combination of four or five everybody plays every year. And of the upper highest profile teams, they'll play two, not three. And that's part of the reason why probably the the big the biggest question mark as to what didn't get protected was Ohio State, Penn State. But that the main reason for that was um, they felt that was more of a competitive rivalry than a historic rivalry. And so they decided, let's make that where you rotate. So then somebody doesn't get, like, let's say Ohio State. If you're protecting Penn State and Michigan, and then you play USC, and you play a Wisconsin, maybe an Iowa, um, even for Ohio State, that's not easy. And it's, it should, you shouldn't be like, just because we're Ohio State, we've got to play this god-awful monster schedule. Just like if you're Northwestern, you shouldn't want to shouldn't have to play all four of them in the same year. So they did it right. And then likewise, you know, there are some years where, you know, Iowa's 2024 is, is pretty intense where they got to go to USC and Ohio state. And then they, you know, but they also play, you know, Wisconsin at home and, you know, they they've got, 
it's been balanced. And, and let's face it, it's not like games against Minnesota are easy. Northwestern now, maybe, but not a few years ago. UCLA, you never know. You know, just so and if you're taking travel into consideration, Iowa and Nebraska are the closest schools to UCLA and, and USC. Exactly. So, you know, and they're going to have to travel east. And when you're talking about, I mean, like, in 2024, what if UCLA plays at Iowa City on um, November um, 17th, whatever the third Saturday is? Bundle up. Can you imagine UCLA coming to Iowa and it's five degrees, like the Minnesota-Iowa game last year? Yeah, good luck, UCLA. You know, <laughs> you know, same thing with, with USC. If they got to go, you know, if they've got a game like that at Purdue where it's super, super, super windy, like we've seen majority of times. It's always windy in West Lafayette. I don't know if I've ever been there when there hasn't been wind. Yeah. So it's, it's just, you know, I, I think overall the competitiveness and competitive equality and talking to Kerry Kenny yesterday, the chief operating officer of the Big Ten, they went through 171 schedules before they found this one. So they were trying their best. They inserted the permanent rivalries into it. They also cycled through what they call two plays, which affect everybody but Iowa. And, um, and it's, it seems to, I, I, I said today on a radio show, I'm like, well, I'd love to sit there and complain and nitpick this, but I can't. I think they did a really, really good job with it. And, and uh, I think everybody else should emulate it. Yes, and I mean, when you have 16 different members of your conference, it's really hard to please everybody. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there hasn't been a lot of backlash and, you know, people, you know, you know, certain schools calling foul, it seems like everybody was treated pretty fairly here. Now, you got into the nuances more and understand some of the, the um, you know, some of the the ins and outs of this thing. But overall, as you said, I think they did a really good job here and it should enhance what will be a really good conference. And for Iowa, the happiest thing for me, because I'm, I'm more uh, micro than macro. I was just happy to see that they were able to keep all three rivals. I mean, that was, I did not think that was going to happen, Scott. I thought they would lose Wisconsin. I really did. So did I. I thought that would probably or it'd be too difficult to to keep that competitively or whatever. Right. But but in going through this process throughout, you know, this this is Gary Barta's last thing that he's really associated with with Iowa. He was emphatic throughout. He wanted to play those three games and and they really listened. And they, you know, a lot of it was brought up during Legends and Leaders debates. And back then, I know, the, the, and I even wrote that in my you column. You can't say I, that with a straight face. I know. <laughs> I even wrote that with a, my column that, you know, the first thing anybody thinks about Legends of Leaders, they start to laugh, you know. Yeah. And it's, but you start to look at the competitive. Equality. It's that and the and the, and the Cyhawk trophy. The, 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 yeah. <laughs> the pewter Cyhawk trophy and Legends and Leaders, that's what the 2010s gave us. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. You know, and then the, then the interim trophy that got ripped to shreds. <laughs> it was like a, it was like a, an animal at an Ozzy Osbourne concert forty years ago. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I the thing was with like Barty, he brought up those former divisions, and <laughs> and 
you know, and this is this is where the Big Ten has evolved in the right way is when they went to divisions, they split it initially by competitive equality. It's like they took, went over 17 years worth of data and they, you know, they found that, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska, Penn State were the four best. The next two were Wisconsin and Iowa. And the, the thought was split them all. Well, Iowa, of course, has a unique situation with um, Wisconsin and Minnesota, where all three of them consider them important. However, being teams five and six, Delaney wasn't going to budge and have them go one direction or the other. Um, and so when you then, you know, they, they could only protect one opponent. Well, Minnesota can only be in one division and it has to play one of the others because of their historic situation. And so that left out Wisconsin and Iowa and Alvarez in particular went at them. Uh, Barta tried and they just couldn't do it. Well, this time around, they're emphatic that this is what we want to play. And it's really important to both schools and so with the flex option plan, instead of going three, six, six, they use, they use kind of a modified three, six, six, where all the teams have three teams, they play two years in a row, but then they f- move it around um, except for Iowa. So they got all three of their guy, you know, their teams. I mean, Nebraska is the one that's going to be considered the primary one, partly because, you know, every team's got like that one, but but Minnesota, Iowa is the fourth oldest in Big Ten history, most played. And Minnesota or Iowa, Wisconsin, they've only played 96 times. They're two and a half hours away, depending on what traffic's like. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was happy for that. I thought that was. I saw Trev Albert said last night that they only, they were asked and their their one was Iowa. So yeah. takes two to tango, right? So that probably plays into that as well as Nebraska being. I guess Iowa's chief rival now, even though there's the history with Minnesota and Wisconsin. Yeah. And like they asked also, um, it's kind of like how they started it out. This is really kind of fascinating is everybody say in an ideal, perfect world, who do you want to play? And, you know, and and Iowa is is in a weird situation, a unique situation Mm. in the big 10 in, in that, and we know this very well, they have four rivals counting Iowa state. But are, who's the most important one? Well, it kind of depends on your history, where you grew up, who you interact with on a daily basis out in this part of the state. It's kind of more Big Ten-ish and probably a little more slanted towards Wisconsin just because of the competitive alignment. But Minnesota is also you know, an old rival and they play. That's the, the one that pops in my mind always just because of Floyd yes. and the history with that. I just, to me... And and I think, like you said, it's 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 the individual. It depends on who you ask. Yeah. To me, Minnesota would be number one. That would be the one I would hate to lose the most. Yeah, just because it's they've played every year since 1931. They play for the most iconic trophy in college sports, in my opinion. Um, it you rip that one out, it's like rip the fucking league out. You know, that's kind of the way I look at it. And yeah. I think that's the way they do too. Uh, you cannot deny, I know some fans and I were like, why is it Nebraska? Well, Nebraska still is a pretty big brand. You just, you know, when you take the step off, take the rivalry glasses off, even look past Nebraska's woes on the field. And there are many, you look at Nebraska and yes, you can make fun of the sellout streak, but you can also look at it and go, they still fill this place and they suck. Um, they're still, when they're on TV, they still get good ratings they're a border state, and if they get it cooking, and if Iowa does, 
That Black Friday game is going to matter in a major, major way. And they put a lot of equity into that in this league. And so that one's going to survive. And, and the one thing I know, Rob, you can refute this if you want, but out of the three Big Ten rivals, the ones the Iowa fans hate the most are Nebraska. You know, the rivalry, the competitive rivalry, we all have, everybody has uh, an angle. But it's like, whose fan base do you not like the most? It's Nebraska. There's no question, which makes for a great rivalry. Again, it takes two to tango, and it seems like Iowa and Nebraska fans like to mix it up the most, whereas you get a little Wisconsin, a little Minnesota, but it, it's not at the level of Nebraska and Iowa. No. You know, only other fan base that's like that is Iowa State, but that's because yeah. they, they live amongst each other. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 in the central part of the state. They, right. it's, it's heated. Yeah, in Des Moines, it's every year, every day is Cyhawk Day, you know? <laughs> You know, but you know, and out here, I and I, I've gotten in trouble with cyclone cyclone fans on Twitter, and I never really mean it in a bad way. But I'm like, in Des Moines, it's a big deal because you may work in an office or go to a church or go to a school or or some sort of function, and it's half and half high cyclones and Hawkeye. So everybody's chirping about it, and in a good way for the most part. But it's you live it. In Eastern Iowa, especially where we live, it's not that way because, yes, there are Iowa State fans, but it's just another rivalry. It's just one of the, you know, and it's not really more important than any of the others. When it's Cyhawk Week, it's a big deal. When it's not, it's not. So, um, you know, I, I think with, you know, so Iowa is unique, unlike everybody else in the Big Ten, to where it it doesn't have a chief rival, but it has many. Um, you know, Minnes, or let's, let's say uh, Michigan. You, you know, if they were only going to pick one rivalry, okay, that's probably going to be about Michigan-Ohio State because if you throw that one out, just rename the league. Mm-hmm. But, um, but what are they going to do about Michigan-Michigan State? Right. You know, that's, you know, Iowa State's a big deal, but that's bigger in, in the context. And then, you know, you look at the, uh, the other in-state games, Minnesota and Wisconsin. But if Minnesota only could play one, it's probably Wisconsin. Do they want to give up Iowa? No way. You know, so that's why that they were starting to look at, you know, he told me that then protect one was out the door immediately. So then they started looking at protect two. And but then he's like, then we started looking at artificial scenarios like, well, okay, who's going to be USC's protected second rival and UCLA's and Maryland and Rutgers. And then you start, you know, making things a little more unnatural. And then you then you with Iowa and then going back to the, the previous divisions before the geographic ones. <laughs> so we don't get too many laughs. Uh, <laughs> I put it in my head. So I'm still laughing. I know. I know. Legends of leaders. And it's like <laughs> the dungeons and dragons of the, of the big 10, but the Iowa Wisconsin one got shelved. And that one was, was painful because yeah. we're talking about an important rivalry that both fan bases equally respect. And it's two pretty good teams, pretty good programs. And, and so, um, you know, building all of that, then they started looking at, and, and so I, I think Iowa actually included on its first list, Northwestern as well. It was really important. And then, you know, then you had like Penn State talking about Ohio State's a really important series. I'm just sad. Pour one out for the Purdue, Iowa. Yeah. Protected rivalry. I, that might've been like six, maybe. If I was that deep. <laughs> And no offense to Purdue, but, you know, Northwestern's been a great series. Illinois, it's going to be. And, and That's one that, kinds of stinks because now Illinois is going to probably be at least competitive now. Yeah. 
and we don't get yeah. to see them as much. But at least it's every other year, not like that one yeah, five or true. six year period. Uh, and you always have basketball, which is to me the, <laughs> exactly. the number one. That is the number one rival. That'll basketball. soothe the fans. They can fight over that. <laughs> they always have. I don't know. Bruce Pearl, <laughs> Jimmy Collins, you know, take your pick. But but uh, now that I lost my train. But, you know, you, you have all these ones and everybody kind of, you know, Penn State's in a unique situation because, um, you know, Michigan State and Penn State has kind of been penciled in as a rivalry. It's not really one to both teams. They like playing the game. I think people like watching the game, but it's probably like, you know, Iowa, Michigan State all those years. Very competitive series, oh, yeah. a lot of great games. But would they consider each other like big rivals? Nah, not really. They just it's a good game. And, you know, Penn State, Ohio State's that way. And then Maryland and, and Rutgers are kind of like how Nebraska views Iowa State and Kansas in football. You know, like they're not historically important enough for mm-hmm. us to consider them rivals. So when when everything started getting compacted and they're like, okay, what are the ones that you've got to actually play? What, what are the most important ones? And then it's like this, 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 this. And Iowa um, was emphatic about three. Illinois, Purdue getting protected was interesting to me because it is an important one. And it's only 90 miles away from one another. So I thought that was really, that was a smart move. I like that. Uh, Penn State, no rivalries. And part of it is competitive balance, as we were talking about, which is Ohio State would have to play USC, Penn State, Michigan, all in the same year that, that you're asking a lot out of them. And I think Penn State can run with this brand so before we were rudely interrupted by those technical difficulties, Scott, you were talking about Penn State not having a rival and being able to take advantage of that. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, how they, they like to call themselves unrivaled. Yeah. And that now they are. And that's, that's a marketing thing I think they could run with. And in their case, they're still going to be able to play the majority of these teams. So I, I think... You know, some people are like, how did they end up without a rival? Well, now they can play everybody on a more consistent basis, except for Iowa, you know, really, because, uh, you know, they'll still play Iowa every other year. Or, you know, maybe they'll go like, you know, because if you go over a four-year period, maybe they're playing them like not not in 24. They are in 25. Maybe it'll be 26 and not 27. You know? Right. So, But at a minimum over a four-year period, they're going to play twice. And they're going to play a lot of other teams three times. So good for them. You know, they don't consider anybody their rival. That's their brand. Good. Um, Have fun on that plane trip to L.A. Yeah. That, from State College. Enjoy that. Our, uh, our, <laughs> uh, my colleague, Audrey Snyder, is working on a story about that, which is <laughs> just how difficult, because they don't have a runway long enough for one of those planes. <laughs> nope. so for, for a big jet, they don't have one. So they're going to have to. Get on the bus to yeah. Pittsburgh. Yeah, Harrisburg, <laughs> Pittsburgh. Yeah, or Harrisburg. Either way, not an easy drive. Yeah, so, ha-ha, sucker. <laughs> um, you know, so enjoy uh, the Rose Bowl in, the, in September or whatever <laughs> it is. But, but you know, the, the, the next step that I think is most challenging for everybody here, and this, the Big Ten acknowledged this yesterday, is actually putting together the schedule will be the most difficult because they they have to you know they already have a lot of teams with non-conference games scheduled and they want to do this in a fair and equitable way where you know like let's take uh iowa and and you've got tv that's going to want to say in this that's a big component here as you know absolutely 
uh, let, let, let's say 2024 for Iowa, you know, the Big Ten would come across looking like dickheads if they play at USC one week and Rutgers the next on yeah. the road, you know, so you're not going to have that happen. Um, you know, and likewise with USC and UCLA, um, are you going to have them uh, go to, let's, let's look at USC schedule. Yeah. One week they're going to go to Penn state and the next week they're going to go to Maryland. Hell no. Yeah. They're not going to do any of that. Now the, the, the blessing is they do have a 14 uh, week schedule next year in 2024. So they can spread those matchups. So it'll be a two by year. Um, I would, I would guess if I, if I was to guess on any of this, that they'll try to make use of week zero or the first week, to mm-hmm. pay, you know, which would be, which would make sense. It's like, Hey, let's uh, let's start with uh, UCLA at Rutgers, <laughs> you know, or Thursday or, night. Yeah, Thursday night out there before their school starts. Um, get one of these trips out of the way. Um, you know, likewise with uh, you know maybe USC goes to you know goes to Penn State week one. USC Penn State, whew, holy smokes on Labor Day weekend, rock with it, or or the yeah. weekend before or something. Um, that's, that's the type of stuff that they're going to have to experiment with. And then likewise, who heads out there and then look at the next week, you know, chances are what you'll want is, you know, maybe somebody who goes to USC or UCLA, you have a home game the next week, you know, something like that. Cause you know, and, and then there's going to be the night game component, you know, which I'm sure James Franklin would complain about if Penn state has to play USC at night and, <laughs> He'll complain if he give if given the opportunity, James Franklin. Yeah, exactly. The thing with the, with this Scott is uh, there's so many levels, and we'll talk about this. I think going forward as we move along and kind of absorb what we learned yesterday a little bit more. But a couple things come to mind, and, and Pat Pat Hardy and I were talking about this yesterday, and I saw that he wrote a column about this being the last season with divisions and the opportunity for Iowa to win the West and potentially take that shot as a, at the Big Ten Championship. It hasn't won since 2004 because it's going to become a whole lot more difficult next year to end that streak. Um, now, the, the positive thing is, boy, do you have a really good strength of schedule. So now when we're talking about expanded playoffs, playoffs – we're talking. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> we're talking about a, an opportunity, and that's really you know you're still going to fight for Big Ten championships, but it, it's almost like it's more like NCAA basketball, where yeah, yeah. it's great to win that NC win that Big Ten cha- regular season championship, but the schedules are so unbalanced, and you know nobody, not everybody's playing everybody. It's hard to decide who the actual champion. It's almost like. You want to get into the NCAA tournament as a basketball team. You want to get into the playoff as, you know, a Big Ten football team. Well, for sure. And now that it's going to be 12 teams after this year and you're looking at this, you you got to view it that way if you're Iowa. Now, do you want to go to Indianapolis and win? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Every year you do. That that is your goal. Win the Big Ten title. Win your conference. Yeah, absolutely. However – and for those that don't know, without the divisions, you got to finish. You got to be one of the top two teams, kind of like, yeah. no, exactly like the Big Twelve now. Yeah, right. So just be one of the top two. However, being the right seven and two in the Big Ten and winning your non-conference games and being ten and two gets you in the tournament. Maybe gets you a home game. 
you imagine Kinnick Stadium in early no, early December? Um, all right, we got the Florida Gators and the Iowa Hawkeyes at Kinnick Stadium December 10th. Rock on, man. We're fighting. You know, that's 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 what you've got to accept. As so that's is, it the, a, is that the biggest game in the history of the stadium? Absolutely. No question. You know, I've talked to people all over the Big Ten, and it feels the exact same way, including Ohio State and Michigan. You know, just things like that where, you know, Camp Randall Stadium, you know, if they got the same, th- same juice, right. you know, it's the same way. So you're talking about that being the ultimate now as opposed to winning the Big Ten. That doesn't make, make Big Ten not special because if you win the Big Ten championship game and you're one of the top two teams, you're probably getting a buy. Right. You know, you're probably sitting out and then, but even then that's expensive and it's all right. <laughs> but, but you can market that like crazy if you're the athletic director department is not only can you buy season tickets, but if we host a, a playoff game, you've got first dibs, you know, to secure it um, because you know, those will be coveted seats. <laughs> you know, because yeah. the students will still be on campus for those games. Um, so, I, I mean, but I, I also, I had that, this question asked to me too about Iowa, Wisconsin, maybe even Michigan State and Nebraska, you know, or other teams just on getting to the championship game. I turned back the clock a little bit to think what it was like in the 2000s before it became a divisional conference. And Iowa was pretty damn competitive there too. And they had to play Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State with regularity, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and, and compete in the, against those teams. And, you know, so I think, you know, it's going to be more difficult because the competition's there uh, for the top two spots. But I don't think it's impossible either. I just think the pathway is probably a little bit more challenging. It's like um, cutting 380 to one lane instead of having two. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that road is as miserable as it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, it's cyclical too, right, Scott? I mean, we sit here today and say, you know, these are the, we can say these are the best teams going into 2023. That doesn't mean it's going to be that way in 2033 or 2043. And, you know, now that they've done all this work and set this up, now people are still talking about expansion. So now if you expand again, how does that change things? So it's just, I've gotten to the point now with college athletics is just um, enjoy today because tomorrow could change everything again. And uh, maybe it's for the better, maybe it's for the worse, uh, but it's just, there's so much going on now in college athletics with NIL and transfer portal and conference expansion and media rights deals. It's just, it's hard to keep up for people. And, uh, but I think the fans are still locked in, as you said, to this sport when, you know, as evidenced by, you know, the, uh, ha- the, the halftime of the basketball or the between basketball games releasing yeah. college football playoff, you know, how popular this sport is. Just don't fuck it up. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, they're at the precipice of precipice of something like that, but yeah, I think you know I, I would hate to see the other leagues, any of the other major leagues, go down. I would hate to see the Pac-12 go down. Uh, it might be headed in that direction of, of some sort, but the, you know, but as you said, you know the the competitiveness of the league. You know, you, you talk about Iowa being a juggernaut in, in Ferentz 1.0. 
you know, with, from two, 2002 to 2004, for sure. And then, and then some other years there, Wisconsin was that way in the last decade where it looked like it's every bit the equal of the others. Michigan state did for a while under D'Antonio who knows Bielema and Illinois. I wrote about them this week and how they, uh, you know, uh, kind of a large story on, on this wasn't the, uh, this wasn't the vision the big 10 had when it brought Nebraska in. No. And you know that they're capable. They are capable of getting there. Are they? I don't know. I mean, I thought Scott Frost would bring them back to prominence and it didn't happen, but Matt rule could, and, it, it shouldn't take much for them to be a bowl team just about every year. But so you look at any of those teams, uh, you know, USC's in there, of course, but USC last year, they went to the cotton bowl the year before they didn't even go to a bowl game. Yeah. So anything is possible here. I would say, you know, Bielema uh, with Illinois, I, I have always felt they're the sleeping giant of the big 10. They have so much going for it and they've never been able to capitalize on it. So I, I think there's, Anything is possible. So I'm not, I think it's more difficult for sure going forward, but it's not, oh, it's never going to happen. You know, winning a national championship probably is never going to happen. At the BCS level, when they only had one game, it might have happened. But, you know, if all the stars align. But I, I think you, what you do is you recalibrate your upper tier expectations. And I think getting to the championship game is important under a one conference system but i also think that um the ultimate should be getting into the playoff that that should be the ultimate goal even over for fans players don't know players keep your eye on the prize but for fans getting to the tournament is a bigger deal it's like it's like which is more important winning a big 10 regular season title or going to the sweet 16 or even the final four i'd argue that the ncaa tournament's a bigger deal it is is yeah and if you're looking for inspiration and hope as an yeah. Iowa fan, just look to the Big 12 championship game last year. Yeah. Oklahoma and Texas weren't in that thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. TC and Kansas State. Right. And uh, and even in the future when Kirk retires, whenever that happens, look to Kansas State because Bill Snyder, as we know, his legacy there is bigger than Hayden's is at Iowa because they were nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and I mean, they, they were going to drop football. They were that bad until Bill Snyder got there. He had a son that wanted, he wanted to be head coach. Didn't happen. Gene Taylor did a remarkable job of finding a great coach and they won a big 12 title. They played in the sugar bowl. Um, so it could happen even if Kirk's not a part of it. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's impossible at all. I, I just think it's going to be challenging and that's why NIL is going to be important consistency of the program is going to be important. The ability to adapt to change, you know, and whether that's with Kirk or his successor, all that's going to matter. But I think, you know, having a, an active fan base that's invested in the product is going to ensure that Iowa football is not going to fall off the map. It may have some down years, but it'll still, still be a team that, you know, if you're USC and you're visiting Iowa city on a, on a Saturday in November, watch out, you're going to get a fist in the mouth. It's like anything else, Scott. It's the margin of error is smaller for the non-blue bloods. And it's all, you know, it just is that way. And that's the dynamic of college football, like the Kansas States and the TCUs. Things need to break right. And yeah. like you said, you need to you need to make hay with the NIL. 
and the transfer, you can't have like Ohio State, and eh, they get a couple guys out of the portal that don't work out. Ah, eh, big deal. We just bring another five star. You don't have that wiggle room at programs like Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Illinois, what have you. Oh, exactly. You know, you talk about like you know, Caden Proctor is the it would be the number one recruit Iowa's ever had. At Alabama, he's just another five star. He'll start. He's a good player. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's just another guy. Yeah. For Iowa, he's the most important one. And that's, but okay, well, you can't surrender. You can't just quit football and say, well, we're not going to play this year because we didn't get our five star from Southeast Pole. So you're going to have to collect somebody else and develop them. And then, but if that person gets hurt, then that's where it gets really tough for an Iowa that they just can't, pro, you know, bring on, hey, well, this four star, you know, is, no, there's, there are no four star talents. You've got to build them that way. And Iowa's been successful as, as any program doing that. And so the opportunity is still there. They're still going to play good teams. They played good teams when it was doing crossovers, you know, um, like this year, it's not, you know, last year was Michigan and Ohio State. This year, it's Penn State. You're still playing Wisconsin, you know, so you still got good teams. It's just a matter of, you know, being able to, um, you know, maintain and compete at a high level. And that's going to be the challenge because nobody else is saying, you know, Purdue's not going to say, well, we just don't want to, we don't want to hurt Iowa, you know. Yeah. They're, they're going to want to win too, you know. Illinois, yeah, you know, we forgive you for the whole Bruce Pearl thing. <laughs> I love bringing that up, by the way. I think it's yeah, I can tell. And, and I'm sure the listeners appreciate that as yeah. well. Um, you got a bunch of shit at The Athletic, you and others uh, on this. Where It's going to be hard. It would be hard for us to get to every nuance and level of this. Is there anything that you else you want to add here and direct people maybe to some content at The Athletic to, to give people a little bit more uh, more than we can talk about in an hour, hour and a half? The only thing I'll say is, you know, that we are very comprehensive on that. And I think, you know, Nicole and I combined on a major, like the news story, which is here's the breakdown. Here are some games to watch. Here's the reason why they did this. Here's what they had to say. So this is provides most of the answers that people are probably looking for. I wrote a column uh, uh, that the Big Ten hit a home run with this. And, and the other leagues really need to emulate it. I mean, the SEC is having some serious scheduling problems or issues related to going to nine or staying at eight. And are they going? Uh, are they doing away with divisions once Texas yeah. and Oklahoma come in? Yeah, yeah they are. Uh, so this would be year. a good model for them. Yeah, and they decided to stay at eight, but then you know they have a what the 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 two arguments that they're having, and that's just for next year. They're not going to do it for the following year. They're going to continue to talk. Nine games, three, six, six, everybody gets three rivals or eight games and everybody gets one. Uh, and of course, there's some historic rivalries that are going to be wiped off the map. You know, Auburn, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, you know, the games that are like, wow, you're really going to you're really going to take that away. Uh, but yeah. that's Texas, Texas A&M. <laughs> you know, that's a big one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to they're going to go through that. And so I wrote a column just hey, the Big Ten had a chance to make it an easy solution. Just go, you know, everybody gets two protected opponents. Everybody gets three. But instead they went hard and complicated and they got it right. Um, And then we, each of the beat writers for our six schools that we cover on a beat writer perspective, including myself, we all wrote kind of local angles. What does this mean for Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State? Um, 
and then Nicole today talked, wrote about the, the ramifications of the college football playoff and what the Big Ten is going to do in the column on that. So we all, you know, really combined here on, you know, all try to get as many angles as we can. And so I, that's what I would recommend people doing. And then, you know, it's it's been a kind of a hectic week. I'm trying to remember all. Oh, I wrote something about recruiting <laughs> in the middle, somewhere <laughs> in the middle of this. And, and, and that is going on. And we'll talk more about that next week because then the big recruiting weekend's coming. Yeah. So we'll table that till next week when it's more uh, we get closer to the the uh, a big official visit weekend for Iowa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, check out Scott's article on the athletic on recruiting and yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we have podcasts too on uh I talked to uh Trevor Lauk. Okay. I know how to pronounce his name now. It is Lauk. Lauk, okay. Um, his his uh grandfather, Chick Lauk, was on the nineteen sixty-six Notre Dame national championship team. Really? Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, so and his dad played college baseball. So uh and I'll have a couple more of those today. And we've got a bunch of those on the feed as well, and we've got all kinds of stuff on the feed. So check out the podcast feed for all your Hawkeye needs. Subscribe to The Athletic. You can dive a lot deeper into the Big Ten scheduling and uh, how that impacts Iowa and beyond. Um, anything else? We miss anything? I feel like we got to everything. Yeah. My head's a little foggy this week. Yeah, I think we're all good here. I mean, there hasn't been, you know, any kind of recruits. Um, you know, I mean, I think we look at the the women's uh, situation, baseball ending, you know, and, and again, I kind of going back to our first conversation, I think it was overall Rick, Rick may have had his best coaching job this year. Um, You know, he's obviously one of the best in the country and this year with the adversity, you know, because they started so strong, then they faded in the middle, then they lost their best players because of the gambling uh, situation or at least their best hitter, not all their best players, but, and then they still were able to, to get, you know, what tied for second or third went to, in, in regular season play, get to the championship game in, in the big 10 tournament and win two games in the regionals. I thought, Hey, that's, that's coaching, man. That's, that's why he's one of the best. And um, yeah, so we're just about done. And I guess a month and a half, we'll be talking about big 10 media days. Right. Yep. And one last note, Iowa football uh, did offer a camper from Sunday with a familiar name uh, in Mason Woods from Iowa City West, who I've been uh, I've been pushing him since I seen him in the fall. He's uh, this is not a uh, courtesy offer, so to speak, because his dad is the special teams coordinator for the Iowa Hawkeyes. The kid's legit and uh, he's only played half his high school career. Um, and, uh, I'm a little surprised they offered him at tight end, but I can see that. I mean, he plays receiver and, and, uh, safety, um, but he's a really good athlete with a lot of flexibility and, uh, hold me. Don't just expect him to be a Hawkeye. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's, we'll it's still a long way away. I mean, they need to recruit him, at, you know, I mean, could granted. be a head coach at that time. Yeah, exactly. His dad's got a lot could of be uh, the head coach living in his house. <laughs> you never know yeah. well you know there his older sister goes to college at texas at austin so you know things can happen but I, i'll say this he's got the kind of body that would be perfect for that i mean uh, you just look at his dad first and go okay you know he's not a receiver <laughs> or a defensive back <laughs> but but you know he's tall and you can see that okay when he really fills out he's going to be 
he could be a good solid 230 40 type you know and uh, I think he's gonna be a great prospect yeah absolutely you offer him and you work him as hard as you can because those are the players that you win win big games with Yep, and we'll talk more recruiting next week as we get closer to the big official official visit weekend. We've got camps going on again this weekend, camps last weekend, camps throughout the month, offers going out. Uh, so we'll have plenty to talk about on that front next week. Uh, but wanted to to get everybody uh, up to date and break down this Big Ten schedule because it seems like we've been waiting for it forever, and now we have it, and we can move on and focus on the 23 season, which is fastly or approaching quickly, I will yes. say. But I want to thank all of our sponsors. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening. Apologies for that brief technical hiccup, but we got through it and appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.